together. Life is best shared when you do things together. You can do it alone, but have you ever been in one of those times alone when you went, wow, this is so great, I wish somebody was here to share it with me together. Now, of course, today you can pull out your phone, you know, and take a picture of it, maybe even make a selfie, share it on social media, because we're social. We're made to be together God made us this way in His image. He is three in one, and He made us to be in relationship as well. And together, you're not a church alone. You're together. God made us to be a church and put us together. And it demands more than one person. It demands more than a few people, a group of people together. A church is referred to as a body, as a building, as a family We can think of it as a team. We think how we use our gifts, our personality, our abilities, our experience, all those things that we are sharing together, and it's beautiful. Yet, together, there can be some challenges, too. Families sometimes disagree. Bodies sometimes get sick. Buildings sometimes need repair. Teams sometimes need to work together. And depending on your past experience, your personality, even your spiritual state, You may be joyful, I can't wait to get to church, or you may be like, I don't really care if I go or not. Let me assure you, however, that God has a purpose for you being here today. God has a purpose for you joining us online. God has a purpose for us together, and He'll speak to us if we hear Him. And everything is better together, and I'm glad that I finally get to share this that I've been studying because it's better together. If you haven't opened your Bibles already, would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47? Now, uh, from your bulletin page on your website, you can link to our version page where you get all the sermon notes. They'll be on the big screen for you as well. But in version Bible app, go on the lower right to events, click that, and it'll bring up and it'll show you our South View, and you can take notes right there in the app if you want to. But as Luke writes the book of Acts... He has a habit of summarizing passages, and we're at one of these summary passages now. Verse 42 through 47 is a summary of what happened on the day of Pentecost, where Luke explains it to us. But what it does, it shows us the purposes of the church, and within it, we'll see our next steps as Southview, we'll see our values as Southview, and all along the way, we'll get there as we consider the Spirit, the church, and the world together today. And depending on where you're at today, you may need to repent. You may need to repent and trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord and join with the church body in order to be together. Or maybe you're a part of the church body, but you've wandered away into your own sinfulness and selfishness, and you need to repent and come back to a growing love relationship with Jesus. Our scripture memory verse for the month reminds us of that repentance, and that scripture memory verse for the month, we can show that up there is Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Let's say it together. Acts 3, 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Acts 3, 19. Repentance may be what we need today. But if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you stand together as we read our Focal passage today, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. 
It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, as always, when we open your word, we pray that you would open our understanding. And more than our understanding, you'd open our hearts to obedience. And that you would challenge our wills to courage. That we would respond as you've called us to today. So God, our Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, speak to us today about being together and all that you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, our next steps as a church, our next steps are that we are to follow Jesus. That has two meanings, to follow Him as your personal Savior and Lord, but also to have an ongoing relationship with Him where you're walking with Jesus as a Christ follower, a believer. To get baptized, a command to be baptized as a believer after you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. So believer's baptism, inviting others inviting them into a relationship with you, inviting them into uh, church, and inviting them to consider a personal relationship with Jesus is our third next step. Belonging together, that you belong not just to this fellowship that is a worship together, but to small groups, home groups, Bible studies, and Sunday school classes where you're in relationship with one another that can help you grow in Christ. Begin giving. If you uh, are a part of the church body and you know that you have Uh, talents and abilities and spiritual gifts, you're to serve with those and to use those to disciple others. One of the most important questions we can answer for ourselves and for God's kingdom as growing Christ followers is, who am I discipling? Who am I helping to grow in Christ that they might be uh, more like Jesus as I'm trying to be more like Jesus? So we won't deal with those seven next steps other than me pointing those out. And actually, I've got four points for us to follow here, so not seven. And these are the four effects of the Holy Spirit on the first church. The four effects of the Holy Spirit on the first church. If you weren't here last week, what happened was that the Holy Spirit came with power. Peter preached a sermon quoting prophets from the Old Testament And 3,000 people were saved and added to the church on that very day. And so what we see happening in this verses, verses 42 through 47, is Luke writing the book of Acts, explaining how their life as a church formed up even very quickly after the new church was formed with those 3,000 believers. So there are four effects of the Holy Spirit. And the first one on your outline is that they were learning together. They were learning together. Together, we need one another. What does it say there in verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted means to be steadfast, to be single-minded, to be faithful. Christ followers should learn something from God's Word every day, like spiritual food in order to give us power, in order to sustain us. You couldn't live on just one physical meal a week. Most of us eat three times a day, four, five, ten. How many times do we eat a day? Would we treat God's Word the same way? That we're constantly reading it, thinking about it, meditating on it, memorizing it, sharing it with others. 
What happened here in verse 42 when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching? With the coming of the Holy Spirit, it was like the Holy Spirit opened up an elementary school and 3,000 new believers were in kindergarten immediately because they didn't know. They were Jewish people and they had an understanding of the Old Testament that we call it of what the religion was, but they didn't know Jesus as their personal Savior and how He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And they were starting all this understanding. And can you imagine 3,000 kindergartners? I know they weren't kindergartners, but just a good picture for us. Our first question on our outline asks us, how do we follow their example? If they were learning together, how is it that we follow their example? I would ask you to remember a time in your life when you were learning and applying the Bible, like you were having these aha moments and experiences. Maybe there's one time, maybe there's a period of time. It might have been formal in church, worship services and Sunday school and small groups. It might have been informal on your own personal Bible study or with a friend. But you had these moments where God was revealing himself to you in new and fresh ways, and you felt so close to God, and you felt that you were growing in Christ because you were. There was joy in that discovery. There was relief from the things that had troubled you. There was love from God and from others. There was acceptance no matter who you were. There was surrender from you. There was courage. There was confidence. All these things. When you put yourself in a relationship with God and with others, and you were learning together. There's a mindset there to win others to Christ as we go, to grow others for Christ, that as we go and live our lives. And this kind of learning together is not just about what happens in the pews and online and in the classroom and in small groups. This type of learning together starts there but it goes to intentional relationships beyond there. We've got to seek those kind of relationships where we can learn together all through the week, every day. Those questions, who am I discipling? Who is discipling me as I'm growing as a Christ follower? So they were learning together. The second thing they were doing as we move to the second point of our outline, they were loving together. Loving together. Look at verse 42b. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Skip on down to verse 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as they had need. Every day they met together in the temple courts. They broke bread, ate together, praising God. And they enjoyed that favor. This word fellowship is koinonia. We know that one. You've heard it before. It's a churchy word. And it means this idea of being in common. It's what we are. It's who we are in this together, a relationship with one another through Jesus. Christ's followers must meet together. Think about what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, that we should consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more as we see the day, the day when Christ returns approaching. They had all their things in common. And you notice it said there that they sold their property and they shared with each other as they had need. Well, we might go, whoa, wait a second. Is this communism? Is this socialism? You know, depending on your view of things, you might get excited about this or you might get scared about this. Well, note a couple things about this. First, their giving was voluntary. Verse 46 says they still, they met in homes. In other words, they still owned homes. 
Verse, verse 45, where it says they sold and they gave, those are both imperfect tense in the Greek, which means it was occasional. It wasn't, uh, even though it may have been ongoing, it wasn't an all-the-time thing. And verse 45b says, as they have need. As they have need, they did this. So it wasn't communism. It wasn't socialism. There's nothing for us to worry about here, but they did share with one another. They met one another's needs, and they met daily with one another. You see that in verse 46, where it says that every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in homes. You see, they met to study, they met to worship, but they also met in homes. There were both of these things going on in their lives. And then as a result of that meeting needs and as a result of that meeting together, they were praising God. That's verse 47. Think about your life. Think about a time when you felt so loved. Because someone had shared to meet a need of yours or you had shared to meet a need of someone else's. And there's just a joy and a sense of, I can meet a real need for somebody. The smiles, the acceptance, the confidence, the freedom, the blessing, the relief, the hope, the praise, all those things that are part of it. It's beautiful when we love one another. Which leads us to our second question. How can we live with such commitment? If we're to love one another, meeting needs and meeting together, eating together, sharing our lives together, how can we live with such commitment? Do you have the ability to do that? Will you take time to do that? Make a commitment to do that, to prioritize relationships with others in your life in order that you might be dollars and it works both ways, is we are committed to one another in church for us and outside of church. Sunday morning is just the beginning. What happens beyond Sunday morning in the parking lot and in the restaurants and in the coffee shops and in our homes and in our workplaces is we're committed to this idea of being on mission, sharing Jesus with those who don't know him, growing those who do know him because that's who we are. They were learning together. They were loving together. The third point on your outline this morning, they were worshiping together. Worshiping together. Look at verse 42. Back to verse 42. This is more of a topical sermon, so we're jumping back and forth in our text. When it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then it says, To the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Actually, in the Greek, it says, The prayer. It uses the definite article, the, both times. The indefinite article is a. I could say, I am a pastor that is in this room. But more specifically, I could say I am the senior pastor of the church. You know the difference between the indefinite and definite article. In both of these phrases, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The definite article, the, is there. And to the prayer, the definite article, the, is there. Which begs the question and has commentators all on a tizzy and writing whole extra pages and excursus on this and everything. What was Luke talking about? Is when he says they are devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, was he talking about formally the Lord's Supper since he put the definite article D? Was he talking about um, early Christian love feasts which were co-opted or adopted from a Jewish sort of feast that happened regularly? Or was he just talking about them eating together in homes? Or was it some combination thereof? I mean, we're not going to deal a lot on that, but I think it could be all the above, right? And even when it talks about prayer, it could be the fact that it was the prayer meeting that they had together when they met together in the temple court to study, to 
hear God's word taught to them. They'd pray with one another, or it could have been prayer meetings in homes, or it could have been informal prayer just whenever because you're the prayer, the prayers to God, or it could have been all the above. So we can't get bogged down in that, but commentators do, and the definite article is there, so it causes us to think about what that means. But what we do know is what's in verse 46 there. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They met together for study and worship. And then what does it say? They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. Now, the Greek phrase here, a word that we translate broke bread, implies a substantial meal, a family meal. It may not have been a potluck, okay? There might not have been as much as we bring when we come for a potluck here at Southview. And we'll get back to that someday soon. Lord willing, can I get an amen? But Sunday morning is just the start. And they were in relationships with one another in their heart, in their homes, sharing life with one another, and they ate together. I love that phrase, with glad and sincere hearts, at the end of verse 46. Sincere here means simplicity. It's translated literally from a word that means free of rocks or smooth. Think about it. When it says sincere hearts, it means that their hearts didn't have the stones of selfishness or sinfulness. You know, when you're walking along barefoot and you step on, ow, and it hurts, right? Because you weren't expecting it and you probably don't have tough feet because you're a city person like me, right? You like it smooth. You like it nice under your feet. How much more do we not like but love when we are in relationships with others that they just feel smooth and easy? When we're accepted, when we're loved, when we share together and we're worshiping together is what they were doing. Praying together, having the Lord's Supper together, meeting together. in the Worship has been referred to as the thin spaces where this life feels real close to the next life, right? Where God is so present that it feels like I'm almost there. Where you say, whoa. And there's a holy awe and a reverence. A sacredness. A something that stops you in your tracks or takes your breath away. And you don't want to leave. And you don't want the moment to pass by. That moment of worship can happen when we're here together. It can happen in your home. It can happen alone as you make space for God to do that. Which leads us to that missing. If we look back, what habits are missing? What habits could we be missing? If we look back at this report, which is a summary of here's how the first church was doing it together. Right after the Holy Spirit came and 3,000 of them from all over got together. I mean, this was a crazy new mix of people from all these different cultures. But look at how they loved one another, how they shared with one another, how they learned from one another, and how they lived in community with one another. What could be missing for us? Is it that together aspect of being beyond Sunday morning beyond the formal gathering together, beyond Sunday school, beyond a small group, where we seek to extend our relationships with people to grow Christ followers, to either win folks to Christ or grow them in Christ, to make disciples, to be discipled. Envision a life where such moments of that holy awe and that reverence and the thin spaces between this life and the life to come are more regular or normal for you. 
that you're growing in your life in Christ. You're helping others to grow in their life in Christ. You're risking love and having your heart hurt, but you're being rewarded with worship and reverence and awe and wow. We think about our church and we think about our values. And we have five values as a church. And we'll put those on the big screen for you, our values. The first one is Bible engagement. As believers in Jesus, the number one tool we have for changing our lives and that of others is the Bible, God's Word. And the more we're in it, the more it can and will change us if we'll let it. The second one is gifted service, that we are all gifted in order to serve God because of the way that He has wired us. Then there's this idea of a worshipful lifestyle, that everything we do, no matter whether it's just on Sunday morning, this isn't, we call this a worship service, but worship is how you live your life. Then you think about intentional relationships, that God calls us to be in relationships with one another, but we've got to seek to extend those relationships beyond what starts on Sunday morning. And gospel sharing, that we know what God has told us is important enough that we seek to share it with others. And that leads us to our fourth and final point today. The fourth facet of the Holy Spirit touching the church, and that is growing together. They were growing together. They were learning together. They were loving together. They were worshiping together, but they were growing together. Note what it says there in verse 43, that everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. This phrase, signs and wonders, is used um, nine times in the first 15 chapters of Acts, this apostolic age where God is enabling the apostles to have supernatural ability to do signs and wonders in order to attract people to hear His message and to grow or jumpstart the church, if you will. Then look at the end of verse 47. Verse 47 begins by saying they were praising God, but then the end says, and enjoying the favor of all people and the Lord added to their number daily. Because of who they were, because of what God was doing to them, they were devoted to learning together, to sharing with one another, to worshiping together. The rest of the world went, whoa, this is different. Think about, they're talking about the church in Jerusalem, the center of Judaism, And the central place of what it meant to be a Jew and to worship together, that something new and revolutionary was happening, that daily God added to their number. When it says there, the Lord added to their number daily, that added is a present participle. It means it's timeless, it's ongoing, that God was doing it for them. We worship together, we share together, we love one another, but God is the one that brings the increase. I can share the gospel with somebody, but God, by the Holy Spirit, changes their heart. I can be an apologist for uh, Christianity with somebody, but God is the one that changes their mind by His Holy Spirit. I can share my life with somebody, but God is the one that grows them up by His Spirit. God does it, which leads us to our fourth and Final question, well, penultimate question, excuse me. 
Who brings the increase to our church? God does. We've got our part to do of loving, learning, worshiping, sharing, growing together. But God brings it. Which leads us to our final question in conclusion. If any of these effects are absent in my life, what could be making the difference? You notice all my other four questions were plural, we. But what I'm talking about here is me, in my life. If worship, loving, growing, learning are not a part of who I am, what is making the difference? Well, there's two answers, maybe, at least the big ones. The first one, it could be that you're not together. Because God intended us to be together in order to do these things, you've isolated yourself too much or too often. Or maybe even though you're in the room, you're not in the room. Maybe though you're online, your heart's not here. You're going through the motions. We're missing the key word together, that we're not in fellowship with one another, or put it more specifically, we're not in relationships with other believers in Jesus in order that they might help us grow as Christ followers. That we're not being discipled, that we are not making disciples. We're not in intentional, relational, accountable relationships that make a difference in who we are. We're not seeking to learn, love, worship, grow together. So what do we need to do? Get over ourselves. Devote ourselves not only to God, but to one another. To share, to give, to love, to sacrifice. The second reason that we may have the absence of these effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives is sin. And it may be that you have been sinned against. I dare say that everyone in this church of the age of probably even a teenager or an adult, at some point in your past has felt like either your church, even this church, or somebody in your church, even this pastor, may have sinned against you. And because you have been sinned against, you hurt. And maybe you have forgiven that person, maybe you've forgiven that church, but maybe not. And that sin burdens you, but it keeps you from connecting with others in the way that God would have you to. And maybe that's what you need to do today is say, God, I forgive that person, or I forgive that church, or God, even though I've already forgiven that person, help me move beyond that. Or maybe it's your sin. You have something in your life, a habit, something secret, that's more precious to you than others. Other issues, is a nice word, you know the definition. It's God-powered, other-focused, self-sacrificing. Pastor Aaron says that all the time. You're like, hey, other-ish, that's great. But you aren't going to live it. Because there's something that's more important in your life. So if you're not learning, you're not loving, you're not worshiping, you're not growing together. 
Maybe you're missing the together or maybe there's sin in the way. One way or the other, you can get that right today. God desires us to be in relationship with him. And God desires us to be in relationship with one another. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so very thankful you've called us together. And I know I end this message on a bit of a sober note. But it's so important to be who you've called us to be together. Sometimes we have to talk serious about it, even if it hurts. So God, our Father, it's my prayer that if our church, if a church, and against someone here today, if me or another Christian has sinned against someone here today, and that is what is preventing them from having the desire to be in relationships with others, that we'd be able to confess that, repent of that, and you'd be able to heal that even today. And God, if it's my sin or the sin of anybody who's agreeing with me in prayer right now that's keeping them from being who you've called them to be as a growing Christ follower in relationships with others, that we might be in life together, would they repent of that today? And God, for the person that hears my voice today that's not yet a believer in Jesus, they need to commit their life to follow Him. Would they confess Him as their Savior and Lord, repenting and turning from their sins today? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.